You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. How are you doing on day 24 of your (laughs) video advent calendar? I'm still alive. Still cracking I'm up. here. I'm kicking. Nah, I got a. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to get all of my videos done as soon as possible mm. because uh, yesterday I uh, I got a got a message Ooh. from the old uh, Tesla Motors <laughs> saying that uh, my my vehicle was ready for a pickup. So yesterday i went and took delivery of my brand new white model 3 oh you got it wow. i got it boy i got it that is so good that's such I a good actually christmas flip present. and got it that is the best christmas present you will have in merry christmas years. to me that's fantastic <laughs> did you go and drive it around for a while yeah, I went to drive it around. See, I'm I'm gonna get a full uh, paint protection film put over the whole thing and like ceramic yeah. coating and stuff. So I've been talking to the guys that do that, the detailers, and they're like, "Yeah, drive it around, but please don't try and drive it too much. Just please avoid any situations where there might be any rock chips or yeah. anything." Yeah. So I'm just like real cautious. But I, I actually, when I was talking to him, I asked him because I was like. Should I just try and just imagine I haven't gotten it yet before I take it to you guys to get it protected? And it was like, look, dude, you've got a new car. You're going to drive it. <laughs> <laughs> but just don't don't be stupid, I guess, is what he was saying. Yeah. But, uh, when are you getting it uh, wrapped? Uh, I have to take it to them on the 30th. Right. And then okay. apparently they have it because I'm doing a full body wrap. Uh, well, click like just paint protection film. It's not actually like a colored wrap or anything. Yeah. Um, and apparently they'll have it for like a little over a week or something as they work on it. So they must oh, be okay. really busy or something. Well, that's not too bad. You've only got to survive a week without going driving on stones and doing burnouts or something. <laughs> <laughs> doing burnouts. <laughs> but then the problem is, is that then I have to go without it for a week. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get myself addicted and then have to give it up for a week. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's but, uh, be a no, I I can say it it is blowing my mind. It is just unbelievable. This this vehicle is just insane, and I'm you know going down the highway and I've got autopilot on and it's just something else. It is just something else. It is so bizarre the first mm. time you actually do it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen. Oh, I have seen it. Te- that's not true. I've seen a Tesla in person, but I haven't like been inside one. I haven't driven right. one for sure, and I haven't been in a, a passenger in one at all. So, um, yeah. next time we connect, you'll have to. Yeah, take well, me I'm for coming down speed. to Melbourne in mid January. Right. So okay. I right. don't know. Are you around in mid January? Yeah, probably will be. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we'll do something there. I'll drive down, so that'll be good. Yeah. Awesome. And we can go for a little bash. All right. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, this is now, this is well and truly just become the Tesla podcast today. <laughs> yeah, we've, we actually do actually, have a little bit we, of Tesla news. 
Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say the same thing. We actually do have some stuff to talk about. So, should we get cracking? Yes. So, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite. Uh, so, ShareSite is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio and it will allow you to keep track of all of the different types of gains you experience when you're investing in the stock market. So, currency gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, then it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies, which is something that most people don't track and it's super, super important. And then the main reason why I personally use it and have been using it for the past three and a half years is when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite generates up to 10 different reports that can be used at tax time to easily work out things such as your capital gains, your dividend income and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. You can use that link to sign up to a free plan and use it for as long as you want. Try it for as long as you want. But if you want to sign up for more features, more tax features and, and reporting and that sort of thing, uh, you can get four months free when you sign up to a yearly subscription. If you use that link, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So go check it out. Go check it out. Hey, you know, I realized um, this episode's mm-hmm. going to be coming out on uh, Boxing Day. So, why don't we start off with this news story about Boxing Day? Did you know mm-hmm. that shoppers are set to spend a record $2.75 billion across Australia on Boxing Day? Wow. How insane is that? That's a lot of money. That is. And that, to be honest, that surprises me that they're predicting it's going to be a record, particularly after the year that we've had, like $2.75 billion across Australia on Boxing Day. But I don't know. There's an appetite for spending, clearly. You know yeah. how we were debating whether people were going to even resume their spending habits near normal? Like maybe six months ago, we were debating that yeah. just after all the shutdown and whatnot. But. It seems like predictions are in. I mean, I think Black Friday in Australia was also very good. Actually, I should just read this because I think it talks about it. <laughs> so, it says Australians are predicted to spend a record $2.75 billion across stores nationwide this Boxing Day, according to the National Retail Association. The retail lobby group is forecasting shoppers to splurge record amounts again on Boxing Day after spending more than $2.59 billion at the shop's uh, on the same day last year, right? Okay. Right. The NRA also predicts the nation's online spend will hit $930 million on the day uh, after a highly successful Black Friday sales earlier this year and a total spend of $649 million on Boxing Day last wow. year. Okay. I thought it was going to say what Black Friday was, but it doesn't. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. What's your take, Hamish? This yeah. I mean, is, uh, I'm, I'm quite surprised, actually, that we're so willing to spend <laughs> after I thought that, you know, 2020 crippled people, but clearly not. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I was thinking. I, I very much thought that there would be a decrease in, in retail spending, in consumer spending in general um, in 2020 because of the pandemic. But um, clearly that hasn't been the case. This isn't the first thing. I read something this morning and I didn't add it as a story, but um, IKEA Australia had record sales um, this year. Okay. It's a private business, but they do report sales. So, they right. had record sales this year. So, um, this isn't kind of, you know, one day out of the year that that, that looks like it's going to be better than last year. It's been a consistent trend, um, particularly as as the lockdown has um, kind of opened up. Um, mm. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say besides the so, fact that I'm extremely surprised yeah. uh, that, uh, yeah, the pandemic didn't have a, a, a typical impact on, on, on people, at least yet so far um, in terms <laughs> of spending. 
that Gosh, we- I hope the worst isn't yet to come. That'd be a worry. <laughs> yeah. But you never know. I mean, are there any stimulus packages still going on in Australia? Have we still got JobKeeper and JobSeeker and all that? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think that- that's maybe starting to be phased out. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they're all still in place. They're still certainly at, at lower levels than they were yeah. previously. Um, but that's starting to sort of get phased out. But yeah, I guess it just depends how consumers react and how businesses react over the next year or so. If consumer yeah. spending's down, then businesses make less, then businesses lay off people. And if they lay off people, those people spend less and then it can mm. become a quite a rapid cycle quite quickly um, mm. as we've seen in some really bad recessions. But um, that is seems to be yet to be seen. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Also, I want to go back to what you're saying before. What What's that? With, so, Ikea is a private company yet they report sales i find that really interesting yeah wouldn't it just i don't know do you know why that is no i don't actually um yeah yeah because i would have thought you would have thought that like if you're a private business you just want to keep all your all your cards close into your chest right yeah i I the the article did say that they made some filing um that revealed it so um maybe there is still something yeah i don't think yeah i don't think we get access to like all their financial statements or anything like that they would have Mm. to voluntarily produce that which as you said would probably be not good for the company but um there may be some level of of public reporting that's required by mm, really somewhere large along the line yeah yeah that's just maybe just required by really large um private businesses but um right. yeah yeah very interesting interesting um what should we talk about next i don't uh, think we've got anything else to add to <laughs> talking about boxing day yeah. Other than remember, if you if the if the ticket if the sticker price is a thousand dollars and you spend you only spend five hundred dollars for the TV, then remember you didn't save five hundred, <laughs> you spent five hundred. <laughs> That's the only thing I say when you see all these massive sales. Yeah, because they're so tricky. They really do trick people sometimes. Yeah, they do. Into, they do. Into, oh, I guess that's the aim, right? The aim is to trick people into buying things that they don't necessarily need. That's I mean, true. Otherwise, sales just wouldn't be a thing, right? Because the people would only buy something if they needed it. <laughs> yeah, the whole idea of a sale is kind of it's just a marketing thing. There's oh, no definitely. there's no recommended retail price for for most products. So to say nah. that it's thirty percent off is very very misleading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's to- it's totally not. I mean, that you're never gonna put it this way. A, a, a business is never gonna do a sale where they lose. <laughs> So they're they're always going to make money. Like you'd have to be stupid if you did a sale where you actually ended up losing money. I mean, worst you'd break even, but you'd always try and make money even in a sale. So when it says it's like 50% off, they're still making money off that. So you got to always ask yourself, well, if you're making money off that, how much did this thing actually cost you? (laughs) Mm, Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like a clothing, you know, some clothes fashion brand or something. 80% off was a thousand, you know, now down to 200 or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, well, if you can do that sort of discount, how much did that, you know, t-shirt or how much did that dress or whatever it is actually cost you? Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, or, or at the very least, if they are discounting something beyond their cost, then it's kind of a way that the business gets people in the door to spend on other things. You see that exactly. a lot on Boxing Day where a store yeah. will have a discount on certain items. Maybe it'll be just a discount rack, but then everything else is just regular priced or 5% off or something. And, exactly. And that's yeah. where they're making their money. Um, but yeah. They always, no matter what the deal is, they always end up on top, right? The retailers, they're never overall, the whole experience, they're never losing money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Anyway, what should we talk about next? Um, let's talk about this Qantas news, and then we'll get yeah, to. Okay. Then we'll jump into to Tesla because we'll, we'll yeah. build up. We to need it. a bit of a. We need to space out the Tesla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can't just go straight head first into Tesla, or else this podcast will be over. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, quite. Not, I almost said Tesla. So Qantas <laughs> is uh, seeking A Triple C approval uh, for a partnership with Japan Airlines. This is one of their bigger moves that they're making uh, now that the uh, the the airline space in Australia is uh, looking a little bit uh, stronger for Qantas. Yeah. Uh, so basically what happened was yesterday, uh, Qantas announced that they want to partner with Japan Airlines and that partnership would essentially allow them to coordinate schedules, airfares, so pricing the flights, and then share revenue on flights between Australia and Japan starting in next year. Um, oh. So they want to have some kind of deal here. And uh, because this deal gives Qantas and Japan Airlines such huge market share, um, which I'll talk about in just a second, they need to Uh, seek approval for this partnership. They can't just go ahead and do it. Um, So basically, they're they're seeking approval from the uh, government body that regulates this, the Australia Competition and Consumer Commission. Uh, And the reason why is because the deal would give the partnership 70% market share for that route. So, 70% of flights uh, and 70% of revenue generated from flights between Australia and Japan would be controlled by Qantas, the the Qantas and Japan Airlines partnership. Um, So, to break that down, Qantas and Jetstar in 2019 had 60% market share. So, Qantas and Jetstar, Jetstar being a a budget airline as a subsidiary of of Qantas, for those who don't know, um, they already had a lot of market share at 60%, yeah. which is kind of astounding. Um, and Japan Airlines had 10%. So, they'd be adding okay. that 10% and, and controlling that altogether. Uh, right. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm straight. Do you, do you understand what they're trying to actually do? So, are they tr- is like Qantas trying to, I don't know, pay, like pay out Japan Airlines for their- I don't understand what they're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. So, basically- the, the biggest concern here is that it will allow Qantas and, and Japan Airlines to price gouge the popular route, so to increase prices. So, instead of competing against each other and Qantas, you know, raising their prices, but then oh, Japan okay. Airlines being cheaper, so Qantas has to lower theirs a little bit to be competitive. Instead of that, the two CEOs just call each other up and say, hey, let's raise our prices by 30%. Oh, so I that's see. So, the it's, it's, yeah, right. So, they're coordinating the, their two businesses to align with each other. Correct. Yes. So, that's the major concern is that then 70% of the market is controlled by these two businesses that are now working together uh, and that can raise prices. And I mean, if you've, uh, most Australians, uh, I mean, well, 70% fly to a lot of countries around the world, but particularly Japan is a really popular one at the moment, um, Mm. flying with Qantas. So, Mm. that's the major concern. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously this is anecdotal, but I just know personally a lot of people going to Japan or having interest in going yeah. to Japan just in the past couple of years. It's kind of been a a, a popular thing that I've seen anecdotally. Yeah, um, lots of people skiing in Japan. It, That's quite common. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah. So basically Qantas is arguing. So obviously they are arguing against the fact that they're going to price gouge, but they're arguing that <laughs> there are still other comp- competing airlines. There's another one whose name... Um, I forget which had 8% market share. Um, right. So, they're arguing that there's other competing airlines and that also that Virgin Australia could very well start a route um, in that industry and take some mm. market share. So, that's Qantas's argument is, hey, we do have 70% market share. 
but there's other competition. It's not the only option to fly um, with Qantas, Jetstar or, or Japan Airlines. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. The The question I have is why would Qantas bother? I mean, if Qantas and Jetstar had 60% market share in 2019, Japan Airlines only had 10%. Is it really that that necessary that they need to, you know, be bestest buddies and handshake that, you know, Japan Airlines and Qantas and Jetstar are all going to keep things on the level playing field with each other into the future? I would have thought that... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm missing something, but it's just like, man, Qantas and Jetstar, they had such big market share. Or maybe all these other ones are trying to undercut Qantas and Jetstar. So, Qantas and Jetstar are just trying to get in and and um, prevent that from, from happening potentially. Yeah. The way that I would imagine this going, and maybe this is wrong, but I would imagine that the revenue split would probably be fairly similar between the businesses if they were separate. The difference is that they can then coordinate schedules and the prices so right. while Qantas in the end still may collect around 60% of the industry's revenue and uh, Japan may still Japan Airlines may still collect 10% of the industry revenue the industry revenue may go up because they're able to right. work together and rather than competing that would be my that makes uh, sense that would be my imagination but you're correct in that they already had 60% so it's not a, it's not a dramatic increase it's not like they're going from mm. 30 to 60 which would be um, really scary I guess for, for for some people where you have an industry if the biggest was 30 and then you had a 10 and an 8 and then a few others going to 70 um, that's a big mm. change so it's a, you know, it's a small change, but... So, maybe next week we'll see Qantas is seeking ACCC approval for partnership with that airline that has yeah. the next yeah. 8% of market share. <laughs> yeah. And then what will that drag them up to? 78%. 78%. And then the next one that has 7% market share. Qantas seeks approval sudden, to take over the entire industry. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, all these different airlines have, have shaken hands and are just going to double the price of flying between Australia and, and Japan. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah. No, but that's interesting. I, I yeah, I, I'd be interested to to look into that a little bit more closely and and explore the finite details because yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. I've not seen something like well, I can't really remember a good example of when something like that's happened. Can you think of an example like off the top of your head um, where something? I'm sure it's happened many times, like these kind of industry partnerships. But I just can't think of anything right now. Yeah, I can't think of um, anything that's like a good. Comparison. Yeah, let us know if you have a, if you have a good example of how something that might be similar. Um, but uh, any, anything else to say on the, on that one? Um, no, I mean the only other thing is that approval takes six months, so this is not oh, the story's not right. going anywhere anytime soon. And the reason why they executed it now or, or um, started the process is because Qantas's international travel is expected to resume in six months. So that's the timeline. Uh, so okay. now they've started the motions in in yeah. making this deal happen. Makes sense. All right. Well, let's move on into the next news story. All right. We better cover this Apple Tesla news <laughs> because, man, it's it's been dominating my uh, my feed recently. I don't know about you. Oh, I know. The, the headline I've written down or that I've pinched here is that Apple was approached by Tesla during the Model 3 pro uh, program struggles, Elon Musk says, but Tim Cook blew off the meeting, which is very interesting. So, it says in a tweet, Mr. Musk said he reached out to Apple chief executive Tim Cook to discuss the possibility of Apple acquiring Tesla for one-tenth <laughs> of the current value and Tim Cook refused to take the meeting. How insane is that? That's, that uh, The tweet was pretty funny when 
when he said for one tenth of the current value. It's such a slap in the face. To, yeah, to I know. <laughs> I, the slap in the face is he refused to take the meeting. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, cop that, Tim. But it's very interesting because it says here, uh, te- you know, Tesla's market value is currently six hundred and sixteen billion, <laughs> oh um, and one tenth of that is obviously sixty one point six billion. So mm. just. dramatically different numbers but it's very interesting that you know apple didn't want a bar of it um and back in that time where um where elon and and tesla were trying to ramp the model 3 production they were they've admitted that they were only a few weeks away from a potential bankruptcy yeah with the with the issues that they had getting their lines uh ramp getting the model 3 ramp up up and running with the with the lines the general assembly lines that's when they built that you remember when they Mm. built that tent (laughs) yes yeah yeah they started building cars through the tent yeah that's unbelievable yeah it's crazy it was that was it's so funny that this comes out now because that was right around the time when we were discussing like whether like who would acquire Tesla or or Mm. who would make a good fit for that. And I remember saying Apple is it's very on brand, Apple and Tesla. And when they were sitting at around a $50 billion or at least less, the price was less than the amount of cash that Apple had. um, It looked like a really good, uh, to me, it looked perfect. It looked like Mm. Apple and Tesla's brand is so smooth um, and it was within price range for Apple who probably were looking or should have been, I think, should be looking to spend some of that cash to move into a new market. Uh, But yeah, they can't really do that anymore unless they're going to sell for way under the current market price. Yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of funny memes out of this this story. (laughs) It's just (laughs) like, imagine if uh, Apple bought Tesla. It'd be like, if you bought a Tesla, engine and wheels sold separately. Yeah, I saw that one. (laughs) (laughs) You saw that? What's another one that I saw? Uh, I can't remember. That was a really funny one. Oh, yeah. Jeez, the other meme was, imagine if Apple bought Tesla. Uh, Every year that you owned your Tesla, your car would get progressively slower. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, in like the third year, it just suddenly dies. Like, oh, no. Right outside of warranty. Oh no! Yeah, dear, dear oh dear, critical critical malfunction. Oh no! It looks like you have to buy a new one. <laughs> oh dear! But I've actually, to be honest, I've said this. I've said the second half of the story before the first half of the story because the whole reason that this tweet from Elon actually came out is because there's been some mad speculation lately that uh, Apple are getting back into the electric car game. Uh, because, of course, uh, I'll just read it here. Uh, this is a uh, Reuters exclusive saying Apple Inc. is moving forward with self-driving car technology and is targeting a 2024 uh, release date for, you know, to produce a passenger vehicle that could include its own breakthrough battery technology. People familiar with the matter told uh, uh, Reuters iPhone makers automotive efforts known as Project Titan have proceeded unevenly since 2014 uh, when it first started to design its own vehicle from scratch. At one point, Apple drew back the effort to focus on software and reassessed its goals. But Doug Field, an Apple veteran who had worked at Tesla, returned to oversee the project in 2018 and laid off 190 people from the team in 2019. Since then, Apple has progressed enough that it now aims to build a vehicle for consumers. Uh, Two people familiar with the effort said, asking not to be named because Apple's plans are not public. So wow. there you go. So I mean, it's there's nothing official out of Apple, obviously, and this is just a Reuters article from two people apparently close to the matter. But th- that's the whole reason that this that Elon even tweeted that um, because you know 
all of this stuff re-emerged that Apple's back in the game, um, going to make their own passenger electric passenger vehicles. So, yeah, I don't know. 2024, apparently revolutionary battery technology. I mean, <laughs> I've seen a couple of memes about that as well, that, you know, the Apple executives just watched Tesla's battery day and, <laughs> and said that they're going to do the same thing or something like that. The one thing that Apple does have over Tesla, um, yeah, I guess they still do have this over Tesla, is money. They have a lot of yeah. money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which Can't argue that, that one. I mean, and money's not everything, but it does give a significant advantage. The only mm. thing I'm worried about is if their cars are un- as unreliable as their phones, then I won't be getting in one. Mm. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. Everybody does talk very highly of Apple products, but the Apple products I've owned have really had some reliability issues. Yep. And I'm talking uh, laptops, phones, uh, I think that they're the only products that I've used of Apple's. Yeah, but, um, my, my laptop died, my Mac died yeah. just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know a single person who's bought an iPhone in the last three years who hasn't had a replacement. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know, but obviously that's the other thing that uh, the Apple has going for it. And that is a very loyal fan base <laughs> yeah. that just buys whatever the hell they come up with. Um, you can argue that obviously Tesla's got some sort of brand moat, but Definitely. potentially on the same level as Tesla's brand moat or even bigger is Apple's brand moat. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have Apple have has a really loyal following. And you think about the potential synergies that could be brought in if, um, you know, this is all, at the end of the day, all the things that we're talking about are just technology, phones, laptops, now electric cars, etc. Mm. You just think how many people have Apple, you know, an iPhone, they have a MacBook, you know, maybe they have uh, what's the what's the home speaker thing from Apple? I can't remember. Maybe they've got one home of those HomePod well. or something, yeah. HomePod, yeah, and you know, then all of a sudden they bring out this new car which has got some sort of integrated functionality with all those different other Apple products and all of a sudden for an Apple user it becomes quite a draw card, you know. Yeah. That's, and that's going back to that ecosystem that they've built because of that brand. So there's a bit of a switching mode in there as well. So yeah, I find that very interesting. I'll be very interested to see because obviously Tesla is just all about innovation. Apple once was about innovation, but over the past little while, unfortunately, I, I would have to say under most of Tim Cook's yeah. <laughs> reign, they've focused less and less on innovation. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see if if Apple do come out with an electric car how does it rate? How does it compare to Tesla? Even not even the the maybe the latest generation Teslas, but how does it relate to the Teslas that came out three, four, five years ago when they were just ramping up their first iteration of say the Model Three or something like that? Yeah, that that is going to be very very interesting. Um, if it's I kind of hope they do it. Yeah, you know? I mean, it, I really do hope they do it. If it's anything like the smartphone industry, they'll have older technology, but they'll be able to market it in a way that's attractive mm. uh, yeah. like they do with their phones. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, you're, you're right about Tim Cook. Um, certainly, he leans more on squeezing innovate, uh, squeezing efficiency out of uh, what they've already got versus yeah. innovating new products and, and leading the charge. Um, so, yeah, yeah definitely. We'll, we'll see. Maybe Maybe a change is coming. In Apple. Maybe who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I, I would, yeah, I would really like to see it. If, I mean, if if only just to see more electric cars out there. Yeah, um, definitely. That, I mean, that's that's got to be a positive. And plus, if you're just if you're just a consumer, 
uh, right now, there's really no one that can compete with Tesla in the electric car space. Like, yes, there are other options out there, but in terms of quality and in you know range and all that sort of stuff, no one really competes with Tesla. So, I would be really interested to see more competition because as a consumer, you always want to see, it's kind of weird. As an investor, you want to see less competition. <laughs> you want your company to have a monopoly. As a consumer, you want a lot of competition. So, there's a lot of options out there and yeah. the competition drives the innovation. Um, so, I want to see it just even just if it means more people get electric cars and we push further towards sustainable transport. Yeah. And ultimately, that's Tesla's mission that says on the front page of anything they release, you know, Tesla's mission is to to uh, advance the, um, the the transition to sustainable energy. So, this has got to be a good thing. Yeah. Any way you look at it. Absolutely. Next five years is uh, going to be very, uh, in five years time, it's the, the uh, electric car industry is going to look very, very different from what oh, it looks sure. like today. And I'm excited for it. Well, I hope it, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it does. But anyway, uh, I think that's probably all we got to say on that one. Mm. Anything else? No. We've yarned on about it for quite that's a enough. while. <laughs> <laughs> What should we do next? You want to do this other news story about Google? Oh, yes. So, um, in my second piece of ACCC news for today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Google is also seeking uh, ACCC approval, but in this case, it's for their acquisition of Fitbit. So, uh, Google agreed to buy Fitbit last month for $2.1 billion. um, Did we cover that? I can't remember. I don't think we did. Um, but I remember us talking about it might happen. So there you go. It's actually happening. Man, I just yes. completely missed that one. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I, we must have spoken about it a few months ago when it was um, when they made a bid for them or something like yeah, that. I can't I remember so. exactly. Um, but yeah, I think so. Last month they uh, finally agreed to do it. But uh, first, of course, they need to get approval from every government before they do anything because they're under great scrutiny at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, the move would allow Google to do two key things. One, of course, is that obviously they gain some competitive ground in the fitness watch industry. But the other thing that's significant is that they would get access to wrist watch data from 27 million Fitbit users, uh, mm. which could, of course, be in theory used in advertising. Um, yep. Google is all about how much data they can collect and, and use mm. to improve the advertising space for, for businesses online. So, yeah. that to me is probably the the more significant play here. Um, the, mm. the smart, the, the fitness watch industry, it's big, but it's not crazy compared to Google's size, but to improve mm. advertising efficiency by a small amount um, can make them a lot of money. So basically, mm. Google entered into a court ordered what's called an undertaking, which would basically say Google agrees that the court is forcing them to only use the data in a certain way. So basically, Google's saying, hey, um, you can decide. You can decide how we can use this data. If we can't use it for this, that's okay. fine. But let's like set up a deal so that we can do this acquisition um, with some limitations, if that makes sense. And mm. basically, the ACCC just rejected this. They said no. Oh, okay. They said that's not going to happen, um, which is uh, different to what the European Union did when Google offered this deal. The Re- European Union said yes. They said, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll come up with some parameters for how you can use the wristwatch data, um, right. and we'll let you go through with the acquisition. Um, but in Australia, the ACCC is uh, continuing to investigate um, and that's uh, just ongoing at the moment. So, we don't really know how that's going to turn out. But uh, considering the current conflicts between Australia and Google uh, in terms yeah. of the, the news media and, and a bunch of other things going on with Google at the moment and Facebook, 
um, it's I think it's unlikely that this will go well mm. for Google. Um, and the other thing is that if they uh, do not, um, if they just go against the ACCC, they face a $400 million fine. So it's not going to be cheap oh. if they don't wait yeah. for approval. Although Google will probably be like, you know, they'll just do the economics. Is it worth the fine if we if we go straight away? You know, <laughs> is it worth it if if we get the uh, if we get the revenue earlier? But um, yeah, this is interesting. To be honest, I I find it quite interesting that uh, you know the ACCC has any say in the matter when we're talking about Google and Fitbit. But I guess it's just what whatever happens in Australia, right? Whatever they decide to do in Australia. Um, because they're two American companies, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess it's, I mean, yeah, it's really complicated, right? Because they're, mm. they're just two American companies. The Fitbit's just a physical product, but the consequence I guess is that they can use Australians data to, yeah. at, to, to, well, to make more money in other ways. Yeah. It's um, interesting. so it is very confusing. Um, a lot of these, these kind of, uh, fights, I guess, or, or um, yeah, I, I guess that, uh, that we're seeing at the moment between companies and, and governments, they're really complicated and no one really knows what's right. Mm. Um, how's, how's the it's right way to go? Yeah. Cause obviously like when I just look at this, I'm just thinking Google Fitbit, acquisition to American companies, you know, sure, it'll it'll happen. Fine. And it's like, wait, what? The Australian, what is it? Consumer and what? what is the HLC? Australian Competition Consumer- and Consumer Com- Commission. Competition and Consumer Commission. They actually have a say in the matter. They're like, actually, hold up, guys. <laughs> but that's interesting. But I want to go back to the point that you made before um, about- uh, the, the whole the whole point of this is is potentially just for data just <laughs> just to to get more data and i think that's a, an important point to touch on it's something that gets overlooked by people that are looking at these massive companies that we see around the world that make you know hardware um, or you know run websites or whatever uh, apps that a lot of people you know they would they would look at an iPhone maker and they'd be like, oh yeah, they, or they make it, they'd look at an Apple or something. Oh, they make iPhones and just think, oh, they're just like a hardware company. But a lot of these businesses, like one of the highest priorities for their business is to collect data. It's like mm. data is money really in yeah. today's society. So it's like even like, you know, Apple's, Google's, Facebook's, but even companies like Tesla, um, these companies, yes, they make products and they provide services. But at the end of the day, one of their highest priorities is to gain, is to gather data. Yeah. It's like data is the new <laughs> currency almost. Yeah. Um, we, we, spoke, yeah we, it, we spoke about Facebook last week and how they had this innocent looking app that was free. You could download and it helped you to, to manage how much data usage you had in apps. And now mm. it's people think that they possibly used that data to, to stifle competition, to buy yeah. WhatsApp, to buy Instagram when they were coming mm. up. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. You, you, you just download an app and you don't even think about it, but what the company is actually gaining from that is significant mm. data. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a whole different side of things that I think a lot of people don't consider. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like some of the highest priorities, although they would never say this, some of the highest priorities for companies are figuring out how humans think and what humans do and their behaviors and what triggers them to perform certain behaviors. Because if they can figure that out, then that is 
that is a real money-making tool. Like forget, mm. yeah, we sell pixels or yeah, we sell iPhones or yeah, we sell, you know, cars or whatever. If they can figure out it, at the end of the day, we want to collect data about how we do things, what we think, because that unlocks everything else that unlocks advertising algorithms that unlocks the key to, you know, full self-driving that unlocks the key to, you know, everything really. So I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. Something that, uh, that, yeah, I, I, I'm interested in, I suppose that sometimes a lot of people don't think about, they kind of just see companies at face value, but their, their actual motivations are much deeper. Exactly. Um, Right. Interesting. All right. Um, We've got to talk oh, about this. Oh my holy moly. What this this is one of those news stories where you see it and you're just like, this is ridiculous. But it's so ridiculous I have to learn more about it. <laughs> so listen to this and I'm interested, you'll probably be as shocked, viewers at home, listeners at home, you'll probably be as shocked as I was when I first read this. KFC confirms the release of of the KFC console as a rival to the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. That is a sentence (laughs) I never thought that I would ever say. (laughs) So this is really weird because um, I'll just... I'll read, I'll read what the article said. Fans could not believe it was actually real, but KFC is claiming its latest game-changing product really does exist. (laughs) When KFC teased fans back in July with a video promoting a KFC gaming console complete (laughs) with a chicken chamber, many people presumed it was just a clever marketing stunt. But the fast food giant has now surprised everyone claiming the product is indeed real and that you can't fry your chicken inside the console, but you can keep your pre-cooked KFC warm while you are gaming. (laughs) However, KFC hasn't announced any information on how or where gamers can get their hands on them. In a tweet on Tuesday, the official KFC gaming Twitter account revealed that the X, uh, the K, it's the KF console. I'm just going to call it the KFC console. Um, They revealed that the KFC console is real and it is not a hoax. Hamish, what the hell? That's just dumb. This is what happens. This this is what happens when a company takes their April Fool's marketing joke too far. Yeah, I reckon. Well, that's what I'm thinking is like, has April Fool's shifted to like late December? Yeah, we, we, we moved it. But this is the thing, right? Is that even though the accounts have come out and said, no, this is a real thing, everybody still doesn't believe it. It's like there's going to be no amount of confirmation from KFC that this is real for people to actually believe it because it's just too ridiculous. I think the only thing that is going to make people believe it is maybe actually buying it, you know, actually being able to buy it or see it in a store or something like that. But I don't like this is messing with my head. Yeah. I mean, is this just a clever marketing stunt? Because now that I've said all that, the verified accounts are saying that it's real, but I'm like, am I just falling for some massive joke? Like, is this actually real? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I have, I'm i just having a, I don't know, my brain's just stopped working because I have so many questions. <laughs> like, yeah. Like what? Like how, how would that even, yeah, I, I, surely it can't be. 
this can't be real. There's no way this is real. How would it even work? Do you put PlayStation discs in it? Well, Do you have to get a? People, does the game have to come out on that console as well? Do you put computer yeah, games know. in That's there? Does it have, maybe it has no, Steam on it. No, to be honest, I think what what the what people are speculating is if this is real. <laughs> then it's really it's not really going to be a gaming console it's just going to be like a high end pc mm. so i think that it's it's really just going to be like a computer so it'll probably run like pc games yeah yeah i would imagine like because yeah, there there's, there's no way that you know cd project red are going to you know start working on cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> for kfc console. oh god give them another 8 it's years like, yeah, yeah exactly right yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know, but this is just so bizarre. It says, KFC is known for pulling marketing stunts, including hyping fans up about a KFC chicken computer keyboard <laughs> and a chicken drumstick mouse. <laughs> Other stunts include KFC uh, fried chicken scented sunscreen, KFC nail polish that tastes like fried chicken, and KFC Crocs shoes. <laughs> and in 2019, KFC released a real game called I Love You, Colonel Sanders. Uh, it's a dating simulator. <laughs> Game. So, Dude, I love this. I, I, can I work in this marketing department? Sounds fun, that doesn't sounds it? sounds so good. <laughs> what are we going to make today, guys? Chicken <laughs> drumstick mouse. Get cracking. Trumps, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact that they have done all those weird things in the past just makes me super skeptical. Like, I have no idea. But obviously, we don't have any specs or anything. So, I don't, I don't know. I'd probably lean on the side that this is still a hoax yeah. and isn't real, even though it's been confirmed by KFC to be real. I don't know. I just feel like this is one massive troll. But if it is a troll, then it's flipping genius because look at what's happening. We're talking about yeah, we just, it on a podcast. We just, did a, we just did a sponsored segment that's longer than our actual sponsor. Hang on yeah, a second. Exactly Share right. site. Go sign up. It's better yeah. than KFC. Don't buy KFC. Sign yeah, don't, it's bad for <laughs> it's you. Bad it clogs for you. your arteries. Yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> um, but there you go. I mean, if it is just marketing, then credit to them because everyone's now talking about this stupid thing. So <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I can buy one. And if I can buy yeah, one, true. I'm going to buy one. And then I'll, I'll let you know how <laughs> really? it goes. <laughs> you got, you're going to buy one. Well, if it's real, how could you not? I tell you what. You'd probably make back your money if you just made one YouTube video about the KFC console. Ex exactly <laughs> right. And if they're limited in number, I'm sure I'll be able to sell it for more. Exactly. So. It'd be a collector's item. Just hold it for like 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> sell it one day. I doubt KFC is going anywhere in the next 100 years. Yeah. Put my chicken in there. It's going to yeah, be great. Exactly right. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be warm. Just, it'll stay warm. It's just so dumb. <laughs> anyway. Oh, gosh. But- Tell us what you think. Do you reckon this is real or do you reckon this is just an absolute hoax? No. Let us know on, uh, on the YouTube on the YouTube version of the podcast. So I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. Surely it can't be. It can't be. It can't Maybe be. they'll make five yeah. of it. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Ultra, it's like ultra exclusive. <laughs> anyway. All right. Shall we move on to do some Q&A? We got a couple of, couple of Q&A questions today. Yeah. Um, how about I hit you with this one here? Sure. Hey, Brandon Hamish, big fan of the podcast. In your next Q&A, can you explain how, if possible, to do a discounted cash flow calculation on a stock that has uh, a negative earnings per share? The stock I'm looking at currently has a trailing 12-month EPS of negative 71 cents, which screws the calculation for the 10-year EPS figure. Yeah, because obviously, mm. if you grew that, <laughs> it would get more and more negative. Yeah. 
Um, is there a way around this? We kind of, I think we spoke about this a little bit last week when we did that Q and A podcast, which is strangely coming out next week. <laughs> True, that's right. Yes, yeah, um, so we actually have. Yeah, so this will come out first. No, yeah. um, I mean, yes. Yeah, so obviously, you can't just use a growth rate um, because that won't take you anywhere. Um, It'll take you more negative. Yeah. So in <laughs> theory, right, you could project that a company goes from its current negative profit profits or cash flows, as I like to use. Um, to becoming profitable at some point in the next 10 years. So what you could do is you could manually model out each of the next 10 years. And if it's negative, uh, what did you say? 70 cents now, maybe next year's mm. negative 50 cents. And then it gets positive at some point in the future. So in theory, yes, you could do it. You just couldn't use a growth rate. You'd have to manually plot out what the cash flows would be over the next 10 years and then beyond. Um, in practice, it's not something that I try and do because I like companies that have a 10-year proven track record of profitability because it, it just mm. reduces a ton of uncertainty. A lot of unprofitable companies uh, remain unprofitable. Uh, some companies get profitable for a couple of years or they do really well for a couple of years and then they go back to performing really poorly. It's very rare yeah. that a business builds some kind of product or service or some kind of unique, something unique in the market that allows sustainable and large profits. So I like to see that first. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to add. I, I'd agree. Yeah, you just you just have to go back to your own... Uh, analysis of where you, where you think they're going and and like what you say just plot it out and go mm. from there. All right, should we do should we do one more? Yeah, we can do. Jeez, this is a long one. You want me to do this long one? Yeah, sure. All right, I'll read this one to you. Uh, B and H have been enjoying your podcast, so please continue the good work. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, cheers. As long-term investors, there ha- uh, has there been a scenario where one would take a stake in an undervalued company, but years and years down the road, the market still never sees its true value and the share price does not reflect it. Uh, what if the company mm. continues to make good metrics, earnings, no debt, strong management, moat, etc. But the share price does not rise. Uh, if one would hold on to such company, uh, would one still benefit and have a worthy return on such investment in the form of buybacks, mm. dividends or anything else? Or does the market always find value in a good company and the share price will be reflected? I'm just trying to understand what returns other than the share price increase should one keep in mind when thinking long term? Yeah. Uh, sorry if this question um, is too long, uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, it's a um, really good question though. For, for yeah, a it is one. a good question. Um, yeah, the way the way yeah. I see it, I mean, there c- the stock market, there can be some weird stuff that happens. <laughs> hmm. So, there is the potential that maybe you invest in this company when it's undervalued and, you know, give it a few years and it's still undervalued and, and you know, investors haven't really woken up to it. But I wouldn't particularly worry if- um, if you know, um, if you if you know you've made a good investment and it's and it's undervalued, and you know the the company metrics like uh, the earnings are still growing, the cash flows are still growing, they don't have any debt, strong management team. If the business is still performing, then just, I just keep holding it. I mean, I think the key the key thing here is to make sure when you first buy this is this is why we first buy when it's at a discount to intrinsic value, mm. um, so that there, there there's even a potential in the stock price just rising back up. Up to its intrinsic value, in which case uh, we can still make money. But overall, um, I'm sure it's happened before where there's been an undervalued company that has just 
performed well but also stayed undervalued. It might have something to do with the general market conditions at the time as well. But generally speaking, I mean, at the end of the day, investors around the world, we're, we're trying to put our money into companies that are growing so that when we buy the shares at a certain price in 10 years, the shares are worth more. So generally speaking, if a company is growing, people are going to, people are going to find it um, and money will be sunk into it. Uh, because there are a lot of companies where money gets sunk into them and they're not growing or they're going backwards. So if that's happening, then surely there will be a company that if it's growing well, all, all things look good. Um, then eventually people will will find it and it will start gaining more and more traction. Mm. Because, I mean, at the end of the day too, if, it, if it's growing consistently and growing well, I mean, if it keeps growing, eventually it will become, you know, a larger and a larger and a larger and a larger company. So eventually it will just pull people's attention towards it just by the fact that it's a company that's getting much larger. Mm. Um, so that that's something else to consider, I guess. Yeah. Sorry. What What do you What do you have to no, say? No, I think on that? that's a that's a pretty good answer. I I think I mean if a, if a company is a really good business and its stock price is staying undervalued for a really long time and it has a good management team, then that's like the perfect combination because it means that Love the it. management team can just spend all of their free cash or a significant amount of it, leftover profits, excess profits, whatever you want to call it on buying back stock and increasing value for, for shareholders. And sometimes mm. that might not happen in a company for a very long time. And I mean, there, there are certainly company, there will be certainly situations where you think a company is worth something and it, it doesn't go to that price even over a very long time. It's going to happen. You're not going to have a perfect track record of, of picking businesses. But um, yeah. yeah, I think it's the way that I think about returns is, not just in the stock price. I think of it in terms of the total amount of excess cash that's left over. Um, if that cash is kept in the business, it should be reflected in the stock price over the long term. Uh, and if it's distributed out of the business, it comes back to you in the form of dividends. So true. Um, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much all I had to, to say on that. Yeah. Oh, very good. Thanks for the questions, guys. Uh, we appreciate it. And of course, if you do have a question, if you want us to cover something for not next week's podcast, because we've already recorded that one, because we're going to go on holidays for a, about a week. Um, but if you have any more questions that we can include in future podcasts, then head over to the YouTube version of the podcast and let us know in the comments section below. Just type into Google the Young Investors Podcast, find the most recent upload, and then leave your comment, your question, your discussion topic uh, in the comment section there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we look forward to doing much more Q&A next year. But that is just about it. Um, well, this this is Boxing Day. So enjoy the cricket today if you're watching. And <laughs> hope you guys had a very Merry Christmas. Yes. We're recording this on Christmas Eve. Uh, oh, nice. What do you got planned for Christmas, Hamish? You doing much? Uh, just catching up with the family. Nothing too, uh, yeah. nothing too crazy. How about yourself? Nice. Good stuff. Exactly the same. Just catching Beautiful. up with the family and maybe taking them for a spin in the Tesla. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll be the, uh, you'll be the favorite one this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Favorite child. Get around me, everybody. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Anyway, but no, thank you guys very much. And again, thanks for all your support during the year as well. We've, uh, we've really appreciated um, you guys and, and the time you've given the podcast and, you know, showing up every week and, and listening to what we have to say, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we appreciate it. Thanks very much for the support during the year, guys. And enjoy the Q&A podcast next week. And we will see you in uh, 2021. See you later, guys.